Does the channel provide value? Focus on the foundation. I am a travel vlogger. It's always about communication. Build those partnerships. What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Just being ahead on the technological side of things. Leading an organization. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. Hello, and welcome to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Birch, uh, and I am the founder and CEO of JEB Commerce, your award-winning affiliate management agency. I am super excited, uh, and I tend to always be super excited about our podcast episodes, but today, uh, even more so, I get to interview and talk with Beth Kirsch, a longtime friend, probably one of my oldest friends, period, uh, that is oldest friendships that I've had, uh, but also one of the oldest relationships that I've had in the affiliate space uh, as well. Beth, well, before I introduce her, let me tell you about a tool that we have created just for you. So right now, you're probably looking at the profitability of your affiliate program. You're looking at things you can do uh, going forward uh, to increase the profitability of your program. And really looking at this year as the pandemic uh, changes and things are different, you're looking at the entire year. And what you should be thinking about is, is your affiliate channel set up and designed to drive incremental revenue for you. Well, we have created a tool that walks you through seven different categories of items, things you should be looking at. It asks you questions. And with those answers, it provides you with a score of how likely your affiliate program is to be generating incremental revenue. It also provides, in those areas where you may not have scored high, provides recommendations for what you should do. It's all automatic and it is all free. It takes a few minutes to go through. So you can go to jebco.de slash I-B-T. That's jebco.de slash I-B-T. And that will take you to our incremental benchmarking tool and you'll be able to benchmark your affiliate program against everybody else's. Now, Beth has worked at Audible. That's where we met. Uh, she has run lead gen and now B2B affiliate programs. Uh, and we dive right into the nitty gritty of those unique affiliate marketing opportunities. So this is definitely a podcast episode you want to listen to. If you do generate or drive uh, uh, revenue through a B2B affiliate program or a lead gen affiliate program. So we dive right into the weeds. There's a ton of good solid data here uh, and you get to meet and listen to one of the people who was incredibly impactful in my career and a huge start uh, to JEB and a big part of our origin story. So without further ado, let me just stop Gavin and get right to my conversation with Beth Kirsch. Okay, Beth Kirsch, thank you so much 
for joining me on the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast today. I, as always, whenever we chat, I am super excited to spend some time with you. Uh, good evening where you're at. I know it's a lot later in the day for you than for me. Well, actually, I am in California getting my second shot. So I am excited oh, to have ma- I have I'm excited to have magic in my blood. Yes. Well, that makes my first question that I have written down of where in the world is Beth today even more appropriate. Yes. So um, I think the, the where that question comes from is I've been working for a company called Pipe Drive, and I have been traveling throughout Europe for the last seven months. I have been to Estonia, which is next, oh, wow. uh, just south of Finland and just west of Russia to give listeners a context of where that is. Um, and uh, I have, so I have been there. I have also spent some time in Berlin because we're building our marketing hub in Berlin. And then, Fantastic. Um, and then I have um, spent a little bit of time in London because we have some marketers there. Um, and I took uh, a bit of a break for a weekend and went to Copenhagen uh, this summer, last summer, when things were not as locked down, and I went to the Canary Islands. I have been romping around the world. As somebody said, I have the, an interesting COVID light, life. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking that. While everyone else, including like every travel affiliate that uh, I've worked with, everything has been low key, not much. Let's find different ways to uh, keep creating content while we can't travel. You have traveled, uh, you know, all over the world. <laughs> Well, to Europe and back. So I'm, I'm getting very good at it. I am getting used to 11-hour flights, which seemed to me to be appall- appalling when I started. But now it's just, you know, you get on the yeah. plane and you take an Ambien and then you're there. <laughs> what's it yeah, What's it like traveling in, in, you know, in the age of a pandemic to, to all these different countries? Is it, is it quite different than what we're used to? Um, it's not. The tourist attractions are not crowded. So when I was in London, I went to the Tower of London to see the Crown Jewels, which, you know, were on my bucket list. Um, Yeah, yeah. And that there's a moving walkway in front of the Crown Jewels that basically take you around in a circle. And I'm sitting there saying, why do they need a moving walkway for this? Because there's nobody in here. And then I was like, oh, COVID, that's why they need a moving walkway. So... So that has been, you know, it has been good to travel when it's not been busy. Um, yeah, but, but um, you know, it is harder to travel too. You know, I have had more COVID tests. Um, you have to get a COVID test every time you get onto a plane. Oh. You have to get a COVID test every time you get off of a plane. So um, lots of COVID tests. Uh, flights are not crowded. Those are the worst. <laughs> Um, but not crowded flights are really nice because you don't have to travel in first class and you have lots of space. So that is nice. Um, so it's been quite the adventure. You know, I'm learning about European airlines and, you know, as I said to people after my last flight, I did not think there was an airline I could dislike more than United, but I have found Lutenza. So (laughs) there you go. (laughs) That's, that was a low bar to crawl under, huh? <laughs> it, it was, but I found one. So, so yeah. So oh. anyway, that's fine. You know, it's not like airlines rank very high anyway. So, yeah. Well, we experienced quite the opposite when we saw the crown jewels. We uh, we got there with an hour left, 
the line was about an hour and 20 minutes long. Uh, but my wife, who you, you know, you were at our wedding, uh, she had back surgery, so she was in a wheelchair. So as we walked up to one of the, the staff, asked them where we should go, they brought us right to the front of the line. And so we didn't get quite the uh, experience you did, but we were able to see them. It was quite incredible. Uh, and traveling, I have to say, traveling the UK with someone in a wheelchair was amazing. It, it was, I didn't expect everyone to be so accommodating. Uh, it was a, a wonderful surprise. Yeah, it's amazing. I traveled Disneyland World with somebody in a wheelchair and um, it was amazing to me that uh, how well you were treated. And and I understand it too. You know, it's a big, yeah. it's not a trade-off you want to make. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you and I go back... I, 20 years, I think now at least. Uh, and I owe you a, a, a debt of gratitude uh, because when when we first met, uh, I did some work for you while you were at, at Audible. And I had never, it had never crossed my mind to start my own business, to freelance, uh, to do anything like that. But the work that you were looking for looked intriguing. And so not only did you help me start uh, looking at additional ways to to earn revenue as I was a single dad trying to to make my way in my career, but also later on when I started JEB, you referred uh, one of our first, if not our very first client, to us. Uh, so again, multiple times helping me start out something uh, I never thought I'd do. So thank you so much for always bringing interesting opportunities to us and, and, and your friendship and uh, mentorship and everything over the years. You've been a big part of my career, but also a big part of the JEB Commerce story as well. So thank you. Oh, um, you know, I'm honored to be part of it, Jamie. And, you know, quite frankly, um, you delivered every time. So um, oh, thank you. It, it, it is fabulous. You know, I, I tend to think people just need that first break or that second break. And then it's yeah. up to them. So I remember yep. you doing Now, do you audible. remember? But I don't remember the client. Who did, who did I who did I send? Who was the client? It was uh, Doba. Oh, my God. Yeah. And you know what? That was that was literally just like somebody called me and I said, oh, talk to Jamie Birch. It was not. It was. Yeah. It was not that thought out. <laughs> yeah. We worked for, for with him for many years. Now, do you remember where and how we met? Uh you know, you were a link share. You were like the link share poster boy, and I was the CJ poster gal. <laughs> so we did not meet at one of those conferences. That's for sure. That's and, true. Um, yep, that's true. And so I'm, and you did not go on the booze cruise boat thing. So it was not. No, there. my boss was not going to let that happen at all. <laughs> yeah, I got laughed at for that, but I went. Um, and so, yeah. so it probably was pre-affiliate summit. So did we meet through Brickshaft? Well, I think all three of us met on that Yahoo forum, the USAMC, United States Affiliate Managers Coalition. So that was Sean, that Sean... Collins' listserv. Yep. Oh my God, we all got old, didn't we? Yes, we did. You just said listserv. <laughs> <laughs> 
For all the people sitting out there, if you asked me 20 years ago that I would have had the career I've had and that Sean would have started Affiliate Summit and sold it for oodles of money and you would be running your own business, you know, we were just affiliate managers. So it's awesome to see how life takes you and what you can do when you put your heart and mind into it. Yeah, we we are the grizzled old vets in the space now. Now, your career. I'm not has even in been... the space anymore. Like I, I keep a finger yeah. in it, but <laughs> but yes. yeah, yeah. When watching your career has been pretty great. So, talk to me about like how did you get started in in marketing and digital? Um. So I um I ended up I started at a company well. I started at a company in DC and followed a boy to California and I had been working in politics and I decided that if I were, if I was going to um, work in business, I would, I should be in California and, and the boy wanted to move to California. So I moved out here. I worked for a company called Action Ace for six months before they closed in the dot-com bust. Maybe it was a year, Yeah. but I was their affiliate manager. And I fell in love with affiliate marketing. Um, And I was very good at it, too. And so, you know, and I had a great, you know, they basically were um, Japanese anime and comic books and toys, which really lend itself to affiliate marketing. Um, Loved it. Couldn't find a job after I got laid off during the bust. Went back to... San Francisco after New York after job hunting for a long time and landed at Audible, which was a career making um, job for me. Ended up starting their affiliate program and started Audible right when they were iTunes and iPods were hitting to show how old we both are at this point. Um, And and, um, and fell in love with marketing. I mean, I loved affiliate marketing, but Audible is such a rich marketing environment. It's subscription. It has content that you can sell. It has devices. Um, I mean, it was much richer than it is today because today everything's digital. Um, but you know, we were we were there were MP3 players that were not iPods that were not on your phone at that point in time. So you know, yep. just fell in love with all the levers you had in marketing and grew that business um, and just really loved it. Um, started out as an affiliate manager, ended up uh, running all their paid media channels. Um, but, you know, I left my heart in California, ended up back in California, went to come to go lower my bills that were bought by Experian, learned what volume was because, um, mm-hmm. you know, Audible was – little if you do mortgage you know every potential homeowner is a customer so you really get volume as i say to people and this is dating herself and cj is not what it was but we were at the low end of a high value customer for cj and then i went and saw what a real high value customer was for cj when i went to lower my bills and i Mm -hmm. my jaw dropped at how much volume was going through that system so did that, learned volume, then kind of came up here, did a startup. The startup exited to Google um, and had been getting increasing responsibility, broader marketing roles. Um, 
ended up a VP of marketing at a company called the Freedom Financial Network. Um, and just kind of became a broader marketer, but my heart's always with affiliate marketing for sure. And we're just launching a program at my new job now, um, Pipedrive. We're a CRM platform. Um, and you know, this is like, I'm like, yes, I get to go do affiliates. Um, so that is exciting. Awesome. Like, you know, I'm sitting here doing like brand strategy and I'm like, can I just go back to the direct response affiliate program? <laughs> That's much more fun. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, the first ever expense that I wrote off as a business owner was a, uh, I think a gen two iPod when I started wow. working with you at audible. That was the very first thing. And, and I was like, oh, I get to write this off <laughs> buying this iPod. Uh, and I listened to Charlie Wilson's War was the very first thing I listened to uh, on that uh, iPod on a trip to, to on a flight to Hawaii, of all things. So, yeah, um, yes, it was a, it was a different time. But, you know, I mean, the thing is that marketing has changed and it hasn't changed, right? It's still the right offer in front of the right consumer at the right time in their life cycle. Mm -hmm. For sure. You know, the, there are more channels than ever. There's more tracking than ever. Um, and you still need to amplify everything you're doing, which, you know, why affiliates is so great. And that watching how the channels ebbed and flowed, like, you know, all of a sudden we're talking about influencers and, we had influencers, you know, influencers will be a big affiliate channel for us. We had influencers at Audible, like, you know, iPod Lounge was an influencer yeah. um, mm -hmm. and one of the biggest affiliates, but just kind of where affiliates are coming from and what their business models are, they've, you know, migrated and, and augmented over time. And it's really exciting to see. And it's really exciting to see yeah, affiliates like... As a channel, you know, people think of it really as just an e-commerce channel, but it's more. And it is it is taking its place in more and more places these days. Yeah, and you, you have a unique perspective than other guests and, and even myself. You know, you have managed multiple channels uh, for uh, organizations like, uh, you know, Lower My Bills and Freedom Financial and, and, and for now Pipedrive, now global uh, marketing for them. Uh, how does the affiliate channel fit in amongst all these other silos? Well, so I would say the real value of the affiliate channel, well, I think there are kind of two. There's like the old school uh, value that we know, and then there's kind of what, what I think is kind of the new approach. So... You know, I think affiliates were always really good at doing the marketing that the in-house marketers could never get to. So like SEM arbitrage or display arbitrage or, you know, getting SEO traffic. I mean, I think affiliates like tried and true, bread and butter. You know, I think we're, you know, and you can, you can say as a marketer, does that truly add value, you know? I do think that affiliate marketers tend to be better marketers than your average in-house marketer because, um, you know, they kill what they, they eat what they kill. Um, you know, I mm -hmm. think the new affiliate, like when you talk about influencers and then even if you talk about, you know, some of the bigger, the affiliates that grew up. So like the retail me nots and the, 
Ebates. I guess it's now Rakuten Shopping. Um, you know, yeah. or influencers. You know, they were really able to create their own uh, customer base, and they truly add value to mark to what an organization's marketing does. So, and they become true partner marketers. So, I mean, I think you can look at it like those are kind of the two different ways affiliates add value to the channel for for an advertiser. Is that a is that a constructive? Did I miss anything there? You think, Jamie? No, I don't think so. I think you hit the the two big points. I I always thought you know as this was emerging, you and I working in the space. As it was emerging, we kind of saw these affiliates. I grouped them into, I call them database affiliates. The only reason why is because they were, they and they're the ones who are still around. They're the ones who have built a relationship with their consumer that the advertisers now have to go through them to get access to. Uh, they were building a database of cons- customers. They were member sites. They, they were gathering data about, uh, about their consumers so that they could do what you said right there, the right offer, the right time and the right consumer. Uh, and, but there is still that eat what they kill kind of aspect. Talk to me a little bit. If, if any of our listeners aren't familiar with that phrase, uh, wh- what does that mean? And, and why, why is that important in the affiliate space? Well, I mean, affiliates are a pay per performance channel. So, you know, if you are managed, if you manage to get customers for an advertiser, you get paid. And if you don't manage to get customers for an advertiser, you don't get paid. So that phrase comes from being hungry. You know, if you're not getting paid, you're hungry. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's eating. kind of where <laughs> you're not eating, right? Exactly. So that's kind of where that phrase comes from. Yeah, it's incentive. The incentive, if you only eat what you bring home, means you're going to be out there bringing it home, doing doing right. a little more to bring it home if you're starving. Um, you know, and so we, we, you and I work together on lead gen programs. And, and that kind of goes back to that, th- what we said at the beginning, you know, uh, uh, I was a uh, link share poster boy, you were CJ and we operated on, you know, uh, I did a lot of uh, apparel uh, affiliate programs. You did a lot of, uh, of membership and lead gen. How, how are those two types of affiliate programs different? Well, I think, I think, um, I think a lot of the lead gen programs and, and lead gen programs have changed a bit, but a lot of the lead gen programs were traffic flippers, um, because the payouts were so great um, and the products were so mass market. So I think when you talk about the legion verticals, you know, you're talking about mortgage, you're talking about insurance, you're talking about mm-hmm. credit cards, you're talking about health insurance, car insurance. And you're not actually selling something, you're asking somebody to fill out a form. Um, so it's a lead generation form that they are filling out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that actually works. Uh, that's what lead gen is. Now in e-commerce uh, affiliate program, the affiliates actually s- sending traffic and getting a commission when somebody makes a purchase. So it's pretty different. So, you know, Amazon associate program, if somebody sells something on Amazon, if somebody... If an affiliate sends traffic to Amazon and a conversion occurs, the affiliate gets a commission. You know, 
Lending Tree would be a good example of a Legion program, which is somebody sends an affiliate sends traffic to Lending Tree, um, and the person become fills out a form to get a call back about a mortgage. The affiliate gets a commission on just somebody filling out a form. And that form, there's a lot of optimization in that area, isn't there? Yes. So, so when you think about forms, companies spend tons of resources optimizing their form. So changing a color button, the color of a button, removing a question, changing a question around, asking a question a different way, all makes a big difference in lead generation forms. Now, it, ha- it matters in e-commerce too, but not to the same degree. And the type of questions, right? Like, and I remember whether you require a credit card in the form or you have a free or freemium offer that is associated with that form. That's also something that, you know, a lead gen affiliate program can be optimizing. Yes. I mean, and I would say um, that is absolutely true. So I think the way to think about it is that uh in a lead gen form generally there's not a credit card in a subscription product there is a credit card so let let me compare audible and lower my bills since those are the two companies i work for at audible we required a credit card so we would optimize the form but we would always require the user to have a credit card to try out our product um at lower my bills because people were applying for a mortgage. We didn't have a credit card. We just wanted their information on like name, address, phone number. You know, we took some credit score information and a little bit about their home, but there was no credit card. So Legion programs have a lot of fraud in them. Yeah. Yeah. That was my next question is where, when, when we do, when we have fraud in retail, it's usually stolen credit cards. Uh, things like that, but fraud in in lead gen programs uh, is is considerably different. Uh, and what do you do about that? Well, you know, I mean, I think the first rule in any program is to choose your partners wisely. Um, and I think in in kind of lead generation programs, you have to choose your partners incredibly wisely. And you say to people, "I will only, you know." you can test five leads out with us or 10 leads out with us. Mm. And then you see the quality of those leads. So the rollout seems that it would take a little lot longer to ramp up if, if you're testing them uh, out. So that expectation may be when you launch something like that, that this is going to take a little more time because there's such a high propensity to, to defraud that lead form. There is, but I think when you find the right partners, you get incredible volume. I think that you can get actually a lot more volume out of a Legion affiliate program than you can out of an e-commerce affiliate program. So, and and are the are the partners different? They're incredibly different. So, you know, I have not seen uh, I've not seen affiliate lists in a long time from different partners. But in general, mm-hmm. what I thought was interesting was. The affiliates that run Legion programs are very different than the affiliates that run e-commerce programs. Um, and this the information is so old that I think I can share it. So when I was at Lower My Bills running a mortgage Legion program, we had 
we talked to LinkShare about moving our program over to them. And so this is 10 years old. Uh, no, it's like 15 years yeah, old yeah. now. So I think I can say that. And, um, and we gave LinkShare our list of affiliates to see who was in their platform. And what amazed me, and LinkShare was mostly retail affiliates at that time. And what amazed me is out of the list of our top 100 affiliates that we gave them, only, only like three or four were in the LinkShare program. And CJ had a lot more lead gen. So when you think about it, yeah, that was astounding to me. I mean, that was like the deal breaker because I, I, I was... I was ready to move my program to LinkShare and I saw that and I was like, I can't do that. Yeah. And you think of, t- and, and you're going through uh, or have gone through looking at uh, platforms to run the program at PipeDrive. So this is, uh, you know, top of mind right now, but back then you definitely had a separation. If, if you, uh, if you wanted apparel in certain categories, LinkShare was the place to go. They had those affiliates, but if you were B2B or lead gen, you, you had to go to CJ because they were so dramatically different and they didn't have it. Uh, I know I've seen now it's kind of even evened out, but back then it was a dramatic, uh, a dramatic difference. And the, even the type of affiliate was so different. Talk to me about like what, what made, you know, what made these affiliates unique that drove volume and that they weren't on every network. Yeah. I, that kind of amazed me that I, I did not expect the um the difference to be so great i mean i thought it would be you know it would be 70 percent were on both networks was kind of, i mean i remember yeah. we took a bet about that I, you know i think part of it was the technology of the time and i think we're dating ourselves so i want to keep this relevant today today but yeah linkshare really used a batch program um and batched leads Merchants and advertisers would batch leads to LinkShare. CJ used yep. a pixel at the time, and it gave more real-time real feedback to affiliates. So a lot of the arbitrage affiliates that were arbitraging traffic could get real-time reporting, and I think that was one of the major reasons. I mean, today, most people are using pixels. You know, the technology has changed. Um, I do think what, what I found, which is interesting today, is... As I sit and I look at kind of B2B affiliate programs, they are as different from like B2C affiliate programs are as kind of retail was then to uh, lead gen. So it's a completely different world. It's completely different affiliates and it's completely different technologies. Yeah. And you're going through that right now. Um, So tell me what, how are you making a platform decision. What are the keys as a, because uh, Pipedrive is in the B2B space. What are the keys, how you're going through that process uh, and, and how do you create your decision criteria? Yeah. And it was, that was actually really interesting to me because when I started, I was like, affiliates are affiliates are affiliates. Like, you know, and I, honestly, I was just going to go to one of the affiliate platforms like you know cake or impact or one of those guys or has offers but as i really started to drill down so we're a SaaS platform which is software as a service and we are a recurring revenue model those other platforms are actually not built for a recurring revenue model and that it's problematic because in the affiliate space in b2b in a SaaS platform 
you tend to pay on um, some reoccurring revenue and that you need to pass back data all the time and it needs to be updated. And the traditional affiliate networks aren't set up to do that. Yeah, and it's it's an event that happens that doesn't include a pixel. And it's an event that happens that does not include a pixel. So we are actually batching and we've had to integrate our backend with the affiliate um, management software backend. Um, I've never, like, getting this program off the ground has been one of the more challenging things that I have done. I did not expect it to be so complicated. And so the technical integration, go ahead, go ahead. No, so just to give listeners some context, we went with a company called Partner Stack that's built for B2B affiliate marketing. Uh, so the, the like the technology requirements, that was the biggest decision criteria on because you guys have, you know, there, 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 uh, there is an event that could be pixelized most likely in that initial signup, but because it's recurring revenue, your, your commission structure, uh, is you're paying out on more than that first event, right? Yeah. So we are, you know, I mean, we have a couple of different programs on like every good affiliate program. We have a VIP, you know, we have VIP, mm-hmm program like if somebody's listening to this they know what a vip program is i would assume but we have different commission structures for different types of offers to affiliates um our go to market standard program is uh a piece of the action is 15 percent of first year lifetime revenue of first year revenue so i mean that's how we pay so if we get paid the affiliate get paid But in our business model, let me just quickly describe our business model because it's complicated. So we have three three tiers, so three different packages. So we have, you know, we call it essential, advanced, and um, professional, but you can call it silver, platinum, gold to make it easy. Uh, I'm silver, gold, platinum to make it easy, right? So silver doesn't cost as much as gold and gold costs less than platinum. And then on top of that, so you've got these three different tiers. On top of that, you you have what we call seats. So people are buying one seat or two seats or three seats or four seats. And so it's complicated in terms of how we do our offers. Um, yeah. And so if somebody signs if somebody signs up for, you know, our gold package versus our um, silver package. And let's say the gold package person has five seats and the silver package um, customer has one seat. You know, that gold package is worth more to us than that silver package. So we make sure the affiliates are paid on that gold package and the number of seats in there over time. But what we find is, you know, people can start out with five seats and then add 10 more seats. And so then that customer has 15 seats altogether. An affiliate would say, hey, what about me? Right? So our system is set up so we we have aligned how we get paid to make sure the affiliate gets paid for that. And why is that alignment so important? Well, you know, what you really want to do is align your business model, align your commission structure to your business model. And I always want to pay affiliates as much as I can. Because I think it's a very hard job, and I want my affiliates to be well compensated. Um, 
And so this is a way we can say, if we are making more money, we're going to share the wealth with you. And we appreciate you as a partner. So that is why we have set it up that way. And when you think about it, if we make the analogy to e-commerce, it's the difference between selling, you know, scotch tape versus a diamond ring. In e-commerce, if somebody sells a diamond ring, it's worth more than some scotch tape. It's the yeah. same thing in our business model. It's just worth more to us, so we are willing to pay more than us. And that alignment allows them to then say, well, I, I want to go after uh, the premium package with a lot of seats or companies that need a lot of seats because I'm going to get paid more of that. So you're, you want a lot of seats, right? Pipe Drive is right. looking for accounts with a lot of seats, and you're incentivizing them to do that. Now, we... I did something similar with that client you referred to us, uh, Doba, way back in the day, years ago, I mean, 20 years ago, um, where we offered that recurring revenue stream. And I thought out of the gate, I, that's what I would want. If I drove a customer to you that was a customer for six years, I would want to get paid out on every monthly renewal. Right. I found that there were some affiliates that were like, you know what? I don't care what you do after that. Just pay me as much as you can up front. Have you seen that sort of any pushback on that? Or how do you address like affiliates? Like, I just want to be, I want to know what my marketing spend needs to be to generate that, to bring it up front. Uh, you know, so give me as much as you can up front. So in general, I don't like to do that because I kind of feel like I'd like to pay when we get paid. I do think there are times in affiliate business models that uh, demand that. And, you know, it's not something we publicly offer, but it's something that if the affiliate calls us up and makes a good case, we will consider. Because I understand that too. I mean, so we are open to doing that. I think a lot of advertisers are open to doing that. We just need to understand it. Um Affiliates won't make as much money with that because we bear a lot more risk. Like that customer may or may not work out. That customer may become more profitable yeah. over time. The affiliate gets none of that upside, but they take less risk at the beginning. So it's a trade-off and it depends on your business model and what you're willing to do. And you really have to have a handle on what your profitability is for every month after that first month. And, and generally, uh, I would think the longer term, the, the longer the client is there, the more profitable each of those months become for them, for you. That I mean, that is what you hope. I mean, you might have somebody who signs up and drops in six months, right? And then that's mm -hmm. problematic. But I mean, you could have it go either way. You could have a customer who signs up and lasts for six months. Um, you could have a customer that signs up. You get a year worth of commissions on it and they add five more seats. And in our model, you get 15% of the five more seats. Really? Now talk to me. That's fantastic. Like if I were an affiliate and I could send leads, I'd want to sign up. Uh, how did you come up with the 15%? How did you, uh, how'd you figure out that, you know, the, the it's first actually not 15, it it's actually not 15%. It's 20%. We went out to beat our competition. Our competition is at 15. We are at 20, but this is where I say, you know, I'm a VP and I have people working for me who do this, but it's 20. <laughs> yeah. Um, gotcha, gotcha. So, you know, how do we come up with that? It's what makes sense for our business model. 
Um, so it's what we expect to um, spend on our customer acquisition costs. And I will always be generous with affiliates. I mean, that's kind of my take because I feel for them. And way back in the day, I ran affiliate sites. So, like, I get it. Yeah, you know the work that they put in. And you're seeing, you know, especially in this type of setup, you can see the value of that customer, how long they're staying. You're, you're, you, you are spreading your risk as an advertiser uh, out uh, on those. The affiliate is being rewarded for the value of, uh, of the customer long term. And it seems we talk a lot in our space about partnership. And that's something that is coming to light even more. Uh, and more, I know Impact has pushed this uh, this concept of partnerships going outside of affiliates, creating these true partnerships. And I think, and love your kind of feedback on, to me, it seems what you're talking about of that alignment and uh, being connected to each other more than just that initial action, that initial event, that creates true partnership. I'm, I'm assuming there are more conversations that are happening between your team and affiliates about length of the client uh, uh, and how many times they are re-upping and what each party can do to encourage that than would happen if it's a one and done sort of event. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think, you know, and I'm still learning B2B, but the, but the affiliates here seem to be more partners than, than, affiliates that I worked in the Legion space and and the retail space because you're connected from that ongoing revenue stream. And so, you know, I think going back to some of the people I think who helped us think through about being affiliate managers, you know, it was always described as the biz dev farm team to me. Um, To Mm -hmm. take some names from the past, we can think about Wayne Porter who described it that way. Yep. Um, and that it truly is the biz dev farm team. And when affiliates grow up, like let's just look at Bakatan shopping, you know, that is a business development partnership by the time it gets to that size. You know, it it's not a small mom and pop deal. So, you know, I think that's kind of the way to think about it. I think in B2B because People are so connected at the hip, it feels a lot more like a business development partnership. And that the business development partnership, I mean, what's interesting to me is that there are different tiers in B2B, um, is that our biggest partners are actually what we call resellers. Um, And you can think of them as value-added resellers. So they're people who are actually selling our product, owning the customer, and we are fulfilling it on the back end. And those are our biggest partners, which adds way beyond a traditional affiliate. So way beyond a traditional affiliate. And how, how does you and your team go about finding those and creating those? That, that sounds like a much more involved process than post a link and here's an ad and an offer. So I, I, I don't deal with the resellers, so it's not my team. I have, like, honestly, I have no idea, but I have a fabulous business partner in, um, in the guy who runs channel sales for us. And he thinks gotcha. about that, gotcha. and I think about marketing, and we are... We are all good. Gotcha. And so now if we get back to to your position, you're now leading, you know, you're the global acquisition effort 
uh, at Pipedrive. What's what's been the biggest learning curve in in this position? Um. Well, actually, the most interesting thing about this position has been my first kind of worldwide experience, and the fact I'm working for an Estonian company, and um, and that's been really, really interesting, um, and learning about cultural differences. Um, so, you know, Estonians are very different than Americans. Brits are somewhere in the middle, and so learning about you know, how to work with different teams from different cultures has been, to me, the most interesting piece of it. You know, um, Americans tend to be a bit more, I wouldn't say aggressive, but a bit, um, we drive very, very, very hard. And you know me well enough to know I drive very hard. So even as an American, yeah, I drive yeah. hard. You know, and Estonians are much more measured and much more, um, they plan a lot more. Not that we don't plan, we do. But, you know, we kind of have a sense of, well, we'll try this. If it doesn't work out, we'll do something else and keep on going. Yeah, yeah. Move and, and pivot, move and pivot. Move and pivot, move and pivot, move and pivot. You know, Estonians are much more measured when it comes to that. Like, they move and pivot, but they're, they go from A to B to C to D. And Americans might go from A to C to E and then like pivot. So learning to work in that culture has been very interesting. And, and, you know, that's probably the most interesting part of the job. Um, in terms of learning B2B versus B2C, um, that's been really interesting too. I mean, marketing's marketing. Don't get me wrong. Like if you're a good marketer, you can market anything. It doesn't matter the channel. It doesn't matter the business model. You can just figure out. I mean, it's still the right offer in front of the right consumer, right? It's so that that's all the um, difference. But content becomes much more important in B two B than B two C. You know, the customer journey is a little different in B two B than B two C. So your traditional affiliates, which are very direct response. It's a much longer consideration process in B2B. And is that why the content's so much more important? And that is exactly why the content is so much more important. You know, the other interesting thing to me has been, and you will probably know this having worked at Coldwater Creek and some other big advertisers, is B2C doesn't talk a lot about product marketing. Like, we do product marketing, but, you know, we don't, we don't, really do big picture strategic product marketing in B2C. Mm-hmm. In B2B product marketing is is everything. So really that bridge between product and marketing is so important. But in like an e-commerce environment, you know, merchandising becomes important, right? Yeah. People sewing clothes and what those look like, it's not quite as important. You know, so that that becomes kind of interesting. And even in a marketing rich environment like Pipedrive, it's still a product engineering game and not a marketing game. And in the world that I grew up in, it's a marketing game. So that's been the other kind of interesting thing to learn. Yeah, definitely. Because if the product doesn't work, the marketing doesn't matter. Right. And the positioning relative to your competitors becomes incredibly important, you know, in... In B2C, a lot of that we call brand, 
but in B2B, it goes deeper. And the other thing I would say in B2C, and this is also Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley kind of skipped product marketing and said, let's throw in some growth hackers and let them figure it out and tweak along the way <laughs> and just kind of scrapped product marketing. And now as we're going back and, you know, there's a swing back to product marketing is important. We really need good product marketers. So, so that, that's been the other interesting learning piece to it. Um, cause I kept it was like, what is this product marketing piece? And when I said and understood it, I was like, Oh, I've been doing this for 20 years. It just, it's called something different in B2C. Yeah. So define that if our listeners, you know, coming from a retail background and they're like, okay, I, I can understand the concept that it's different, but what, like, can you define what product marketing is for them? Yeah. And it's kind of hard to get your mind around it, but you know, Basically, engineering product defines what needs to be built. Engineering builds it, but then you need to take this product and you need to take it to market and understand your different the campaigns you're going to do. So we are taking a new product to market right now, and we have to do the positioning of the product relative to our competitors. We have to do the pricing of the product relative to our competitors. We have to understand, you know, what customers we're going after. Um, we have to understand, you know, as we bring it to our current customer base, what that looks like, what the campaigns look like, what channels we're going to be in. And then as we go out to new customers that we don't currently have, again, what channels we're going to be in, what the positioning looks like, what the messaging is going to look like. So that whole package from um, pricing and packaging, brand and positioning and go to market, you know, in a B2C environment. Basically, your acquisition and like life cycle company uh, teams are doing a lot of that. In a B two B environment, product marketing is doing a lot of that. Gotcha. I think that's a really, I think that's an easy to understand uh, explanation. No, and I mean, I think that it was. I think that growth hacking came along, and people are like, "We don't need product marketing. Let's growth hack to get product market fit." And now the pendulum's swinging back to we do need some product marketing we do need the research we do need the brand we do need the positioning so i just think it's been a um, pendulum swinging back and forth and to me there's a happy medium and and i'm biased right because i'm a growth hacker at heart which is like yeah. still you can do the brand and positioning but i still want to throw it up in facebook and see how many clicks i get and that will help me more <laughs> yes. with positioning try some things like, I was like, yeah. you can go talk to 20 customers and see what messaging works, but eh, just let me throw it up in Facebook and I'll know in a day. <laughs> and your 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 planners are probably, that's something new for them to learn about you. Yes. So I think it's actually been interesting. I, I think that it is evolving. That's awesome. Well, I, I sure do appreciate you sharing. So tell us what, what, what does PipeDrive do? So we are a customer relationship management for... Uh, for sales teams. Um, and so, you know, Salesforce is our biggest competitor. Um, we are more focused, Salesforce is enterprise. We are more focused on small and medium-sized businesses. So that's kind of um, who we are and what we do. We've been around for, I think, 13 years now. Um, and that... Uh, we have 95,000 customers, which is big for a B2B business. Wow. So 
Uh, yeah, I mean, that's just a big customer base, period. Um, so that's kind of who we are and what we do. People love our product. We have really high NPS scores. Um, we have a great user experience. We care deeply about our customers and helping them be successful. Um, the other interesting thing about Pipedrive is we were recently bought by a private equity firm, uh, Vista Equity Partners, which is one of the leading uh, private equity firms in the world. If you add up all of their software companies, they own about 60. We are the fourth largest software company in the world. Um, wow. Yeah. So, so being bought by Vista is kind of a big deal. That's awesome. Well, I sure do appreciate today, especially the, the deep dive into two of the type of affiliate programs that we haven't had anyone talk uh, really about yet on this podcast, lead gen and B2B and how different they are. I think if you're, uh, if, if our listeners are in that space, they're going to find a tremendous amount of value from our conversation today. And as always, uh, I love all our conversation now that, and I think you said at the beginning, you got your, uh, second vaccination. That's what you're, you're doing in California. Uh, we're about to get ours not too long uh, from today. So we're excited to do that. And then we can actually see each other in person again for the first time in what seems like a decade. Well, the, the other thing that I think is actually worth noting since we talked about B2B here a little bit is, yeah. you know, as an affiliate and I'm deciding what I'm going to do, you know, affiliates have specialty verticals. Like they're dating affiliates or they're finance affiliates or they're retail affiliates. Um, you know, and you're always looking for a uncrowded space, right? Yeah. And so what's interesting to me is I think B2B is less crowded and that the money can be much bigger if you do it right. So, you know, you can think about whether this is a space you want to go after, you know, because our payouts are big, you know, when you think of... Yeah, yeah. You know, I, you know, you do a home now. Now Home Depot has mass volume. You know, I don't even know if they have an affiliate program anymore. But you know, there are a lot of people who are doing it. But you're getting three percent of an order, and even three yeah. percent of a thousand bucks is thirty bucks. And with us, you know, you're getting twenty percent of 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 a couple a couple thousand bucks. You know, it could be ten thousand bucks that you're getting. You know. 20% on if you do it right. It could be $2,000 too, or anywhere in between. And you're getting this recurring revenue. Right. And so it's a different beast. From a marketing perspective, it's a very different marketing. But I also think that it's not as crowded when I look at the affiliates that are out there and what can be done. Yeah. And so, you know, as you're sitting here figuring out the verticals, you know, that you want to go after, this might be a vertical to consider from that perspective. Because B2B affiliates are taking off. So I hope that's helpful to let people. Oh, very, very helpful. Now, if there is an affiliate that wants to uh, talk to your team about the program, how what's the easiest way for them to start that conversation? It's affiliate help at pipedrive.com. Okay, got that. Awesome. And if anyone wants to talk to you and follow you. Oh, you know, the best way to do, like I post on LinkedIn. I don't do Twitter. Um, I'm afraid I have not posted on Twitter since 2011. 
So I think to follow, I think to follow me on LinkedIn is probably the best thing to do. I, I, I am more undercover than I used to be. Yeah. Um, but I definitely post on LinkedIn a lot. I tend to post about marketing in general, affiliates less. Yeah. Um, what I would say is we do have 14 job openings in Pipe Drive in Berlin if anybody wants to come work for us. I'll get a link from you uh, on that and we'll we'll showcase that as well. And we'll include the email uh, for the affiliates, affiliate help at pipedrive.com and, and link to your LinkedIn if uh, anyone would like to have a conversation or follow uh, you. Beth. I so appreciate you laying down uh, all this information today and spending uh, an hour with uh, with myself. Uh, as always, hopefully soon we will be able to uh, be in the same place and share a drink or a cup of coffee or, or something like that. Maybe we can grab a few of our old friends. I want to come to your place and ride a horse. I want to come to your place and ride a horse. Okay, Jamie. well then that's it. That's how we will do it. And since you are are uh, vaccinated, that is how we are doing. Because last time I was on a horse, I fell off, and I was like, I need to get back on the horse. <laughs> you do need to quote unquote, and in reality, get back on that horse. And we have plenty. Uh, I have just the horse for you. His name is Yeti. Okay. So, yeah, I was very embarrassed. <laughs> I was like, because I, I rode I rode horses as a kid a lot, but I hadn't been on a horse in 20 years. And I was just like, oh, my God. And the horse ran up the hill and then tripped. And because the horse tripped, I went flying off. Uh, well, we are going to make this happen because we've got plenty of those and uh, uh, I can't guarantee you won't fall off because uh, I seem to do that uh, once or twice a year as well. But we can definitely <laughs> get you back out here to uh, to Idaho again. And Did you uh, have your 14 year old nephew though snapping photos and putting it on his Instagram page? <sighs> that was classic. <laughs> oh, no, I... I did not do that. I did do it in front of my <laughs> kids. Uh, they were at a horse clinic and I did it in front of, you know, all them. So that was that was embarrassing enough. But no pictures were taken, thankfully. Awesome, <laughs> Beth. Well, thank you so much. Anyway, Jamie, is always, it's a pleasure. Well, Beth, thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope, listeners, you learned a ton about B2B and lead gen affiliate marketing today and even even global marketing uh so many things a couple things i want to highlight from from this conversation that i know i, I want to remember is marketing is marketing you got to have the right offer at the right time at the right consumer those things are tried and true and are always going to be there uh and you know the the difference in type of affiliates and really as we're talking about partnering and whether you're in a retail affiliate situation or you're in B2B or lead gen, the conversation this last year has all been about partnership. But if you're looking for partners and you're not equipping and you're not setting up your affiliate program to be about partnership, sharing data, uh, setting up and making sure that your program and its compensation and how the affiliates earn money is in alignment with your business model. That's such an important thing to remember. If it's not, well, you're not going to attract real partners. You're not gonna generate real partnerships and you're not going to reap the benefits of those real partnerships. 
So really go back and listen to that section where Beth talks about alignment of the commission and the affiliate payouts to their business model. We talk a lot about some of the issues retail affiliate marketing has uh, and advertisers had with, re with affiliate marketers in that space. And so there's many podcast episodes where we talk about that, but Beth really comes at it, you know, as being an affiliate in her past, running all these different uh, programs, these affiliate channels at advertisers like Audible and Lower My Bills and others. Uh, she comes with that perspective that you really have to partner with your affiliates. And that's a lot more than a link and a banner. So definitely listen to that again. If you do want to follow Beth, you can go to LinkedIn. We're going to have that in our show notes. Uh, and if you want to reach out and talk to their team about the affiliate program at PipeDrive, you can go to affiliatehelpatpipedrive.com. Now, if you want to talk specifically about how you can set your affiliate program up to, to generate, to attract true partnerships, then uh, get a hold of me. You can go to, you can email uh, me at gethelp at jbcommerce.com and we can talk about those needs and anything else that you have. But you can also go to calmly.com slash Jamie Birch and set up time with me. I've already set aside time every week to answer your questions directly face-to-face -face with you over Zoom. Uh, so you can go to calmly.com slash Jamie Birch uh, and set up time with me at any time. And I do want to remind you of our incremental benchmarking tool. So if you are preparing for the rest of the year and you're already planning for Q4, you should be planning for incrementality. And if you want help with that, use our benchmarking tool. Do you wanna see how you stack up against some of the top affiliate programs in the industry? Just go to jebco.de slash IBT. That will also be listed in the show notes. That's jebco.de slash IBT. Well, Beth, thank you again. And I can't wait to get you out here and get you on a horse again uh, very, very soon. Uh, so glad to talk with you. And a special shout out to my editing crew, uh, Katie and Shane. Thank you guys so much for all the work that you do to produce this show uh, and, and the posts on our site uh, for that. So couldn't do it without either of you. I hope you have a great day. And if you like this podcast, definitely give us a five-star rating on uh, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, uh, Spotify, all those places, and share it with a friend. Thank you.